and it certainly is a blessing to meet you. Looking forward to meeting others and just anticipating what the Lord has for us today. And it's a blessing to see the Regals, such a sweet friendship that we've enjoyed over the years with Brother Regal and his dear wife. And we're glad that they're able to be here in the area for the fourth. I know that there are probably some who are away today, but then there are some who are visiting Thank you for visiting, and I encourage you to get back to listen to Pastor Marasco as he preaches the word and get to know this sweet family as they minister here in the Portage area. Thank you for being faithful. As Preacher mentioned, we are looking forward to going up to Wisconsin for teen camp this next week. The Lord has laid on a heart a series of messages brand new called Summer Teenage Baggage. And so we're looking forward to delivering those messages to the teens. If you'd pray with us, we'd certainly appreciate that. And then I'm heading up to Alaska with the family to preach a couple different, uh, uh, several different meetings as well as remodeling a kitchen. So I'd appreciate the prayers that way for the ministry opportunities and the tent making. Just looking forward to everything the Lord has in store for our family as we step forward in ministry. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Jude together, the little book of Jude, just to the left of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And as the Lord has led this morning, I'd like to preach from one particular verse in Jude, but we're going to read the first three verses together in this little book of the Bible, Jude 1, 2, and 3. The Bible says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And as we consider this message on contending for the faith, the theme verse the Lord has drawn my attention to, it's on the front of the bulletin, is Psalm 19 and verse 17, or Psalm 9 and verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And I want to go on record saying I'm very, very, very glad for the foundations that have been established in America. But those seem to be a very dissipating thing. To remember God and to honor God as a national whole and on a national level seems to be something of our past and something that we are quickly forgetting. Now I'm not saying that we as a church have forgotten, but we need to be reminded on a national level that God needs to be on our thoughts. And God needs to be the one whom we reverence and honor and fear. We don't want to see our nation destroyed. No, we want to see it revived. We want to see God speak peaceably unto us and revival stirred in our midst. And the Lord is led to this verse, verse number three, to encourage us today to contend for the faith. Let's pray together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your love that can be multiplied in our lives. I pray that we would understand where you'd have us to be in your perfect will. I pray that we wouldn't drift from that, 
but that we would be those who seek you and those who find you. I pray that we would be part of the healing of a nation, that we would reflect godly values, that we would be people who pray that your that your uh, that our understanding of what our nation needs would be something that drives us to you and that you would hear our prayers and that you would restore us that you would heal our land i pray that you captivate the thoughts and the attention of every individual that is here with us and i pray that your name would be glorified as we receive well the word of god and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people prayed and said, Amen. Notice again what it says in verse number 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And for my first point, I draw you into the very first word of verse number 3. Beloved. The first point is in absolute love for the church. And we gather that from what he says as he addresses the people. He says, Beloved. And for a moment in this message, I want to remind you how wonderful it is to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go unto the house of the Lord. And in a day where it seems, apparently, there are believers who are forsaking the assembling of themselves together, whether it's here at the house of God or outside of the assembly times, it seems like there is a drifting away from the beloved. I was in one church in Rochelle, Illinois, and a sweet lady came up to me who is, who is well-aged and well full of wisdom, and she said, Brother Justin... In my day, when I was growing up, there were 10 houses on our road. And it seemed like eight of those households went to church. And the other two families that did not, they wanted to be like the families who went to church. She said, anymore, on that same road, there might be two households that go to church. And the two households that go to church want to be like the other households who want nothing to do with church. She said, something is wrong. And I dare say something is drastically wrong. There is a missing out on such wonderful opportunity to fellowship together, to encourage one another, to be part of the beloved, and to enjoy one another's company and build each other up in the most holy faith. I was telling your pastor that there are some places in Alaska that are really unique when it comes down to church. If you move to a certain part of Alaska, and if you want to go to a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church, there may only be one of those in that town. And in the particular town that I am thinking of, it is an independent Baptist church. And when you look at that independent Baptist church, there's something wonderful about it. Because when somebody gets upset at somebody else in the church, they have a decision to make to either not go to church anymore or to reconcile with their brother and get things right and stay faithful. There's no moving from one church to the other church. 
Now I realize that God moves people. And I realize that being in God's will is the best place to be. But for way too long in America, we have had a decision to run from our problems as believers instead of getting those problems taken care of by the design of God, by the way of forgiveness, by the way of seeing relationships restored. And I tell you what, stepping into a church like that is such a wonderful thing because they are even more of a family because they realize sometimes family doesn't get along but they get right sometimes family doesn't like each other but they get it right and they learn to love one another and move on from their situation where there was pain and find recovery there is a remedy in Jesus Christ what are we telling the world when we are running from our problems? What are we telling the world about the message of Christ? And I am reminded in this one little word, Jude loves these people so much. He calls them his beloved. This place, Brother Will, is a place where the love of Christ is understood toward us, but also from us to others. And praise the Lord for the house of God and the people that make it up. That leads me to point number two. This is an all-in diligence for the gospel. Notice what it says in verse number three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. I love Jude's all-in diligence for the gospel. When I think about seeking something to find something, when I think about the word diligent or diligent to accomplish something, diligent to find something, I think about how often I have misplaced something like a smartphone or a digital device that apparently I can't find out where I'm going unless I know where this is at and plug it into the GPS. I mean, I'm like lost in the world. Am I in Portage, Indiana right now? Yeah, I think I'm in Portage, Indiana right now. And I, when I lose this thing, I have ways to be able to find it. And some of us have such a diligence with things in this life that might not mean anything for eternity. Can you imagine what it would be like if the church of Jesus Christ was all in diligent with the common salvation. They were faithful to the details of the gospel that would literally turn the world upside down. And so when I think about the all in diligence for the gospel, Jude had gospel information in his heart. And today as we gather together, I guarantee it that there are people in this room who have an all in diligence to the information of the gospel that is within their hearts. The information of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary for our sins, as Joel told me this morning in Sunday school. Praise the Lord for Joel's testimony. 11 years old, he could tell me what the gospel is, how wonderful that is. That gospel information that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, and the third day he arose again. 
when Jude had this gospel information on his heart and it drove him to a diligence to write unto this beloved, these body, this body of believers again about the power of the gospel. Jude had gospel information in his heart. He had gospel proclamation on his lips. Brethren, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, what I want to pin down is the power of the gospel. What I want to pin down is how it challenges and transforms lives. What I want to put down is God's love for us. That is so amazing. He had the gospel proclamation on his lips. And may I remind you, we ought to be those who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel challenges, the gospel transforms, but isn't it amazing that sometimes we'll gather together and the preacher says, take your Bible, turn it to John 3, 16, and we go, oh, in our flesh, John 3, 16, again. We know it so well. He's preaching it again. But to the believer, this is the power of God. Jesus saves. What a wonderful testimony. I give you the story of Rachel's grandpa Norbo up in Alaska. Her mother's side, Rachel's mother's side, has been up there since 1914. Uh, they had the second cabin in the Matanuska Valley. Very beautiful place in Alaska, just about an hour north of Anchorage. Grandpa Norbo, very, very sweet man, very, very hard worker, very tall, very slender man. And one time when I took a couple of my church members up to Alaska for a missions trip, I was distracted from the missions trip because Grandpa Norbo went into the hospital. And when Grandpa Norbo went into the hospital, I was like on nephew and niece duty, watching them so the family could go be with Grandpa in the hospital. I had one opportunity to go visit Grandpa Norbo up in the hospital, second floor in the Matanuska Valley Hospital. And as I go up there into that hospital room, I walk in, pre-COVID days, right? And there's like eight to nine people in the room around Grandpa. There are his two children, my mother, in law, Rachel's uncle. Uh, there's a couple doctors talking to them. Another friend had showed up. There's another doctor over here. There's somebody addressing Grandpa's specific need on the bed. And so I walk over to Grandpa and I would do what I would normally do on a hospital visit. I would bend down by the bed, kneel down by the bed, and I'd grab the hand of the patient if I could. And with Grandpa Norbo, I say, Hey, Grandpa. Grandpa Norbo, and he looked at me, and his eyes met me, and I said, it's Justin. I, I said, every single time I would come to Alaska, you would stick out your hand, and you would say, hello, my name is John, and my birthday is March 16th. That's John 3, 16. And then he would quote the verse to me, word for word, verbatim. And so here I am sitting on the bed or down by the bed. I grab his hand. I say, Grandpa, he looks at me. And I spoke these words as Grandpa was speaking gibberish. He wasn't making any sense. And I said, Grandpa, I said, every time we would meet for the first time after a while, you would say, hello, my name is John. And my birthday's March 16th. 
That's John 3, 16. For God so, and right when I started saying, for God so loved the world, guess what Grandpa did, word for word verbatim. He stopped speaking his gibberish nonsense, and he started quoting what would be his last gospel message that he would ever preach. Grandpa started saying, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And right as soon as Grandpa stopped saying that verse, he started talking gibberish again and nonsense. But I got up from praying with him, looked over at the others, and they mouse opened some of them in silence looking at Grandpa, listening to his last gospel message that he preached with his lips. I don't know what that means to you, but to me, it challenges me. If I get to the point of my deathbed, is the gospel message going to be the last thing on my lips because I have given it so much? Grandpa's testimony is a something that ought to encourage every one of us to have the gospel proclamation on our lips. It was unique to him, his name and his birthday. And I tell you what, if God's saved you, you have a testimony that is unique to you, but yet worldwide renowned and powerful. It changes lives everywhere. We need the gospel proclamation on our lips. Then I want you to notice this about his condom salvation that he wanted to deliver. Not only was there information in his heart and proclamation on his lips, Jude had gospel application for all parts of his salvation as his desire. He wanted to apply it to the people's lives. He wouldn't be writing to the beloved to challenge them about salvation. He would be writing to his beloved to challenge them to live according to salvation, to to live in gospel power, to live in faith which is the victory, to live according to the truth of salvation. We are no longer dead in our sins, but we are alive in Christ. And maybe there was some of this necessity, you know what? It's like the Apostle Paul. I look at the church and I see what they're doing in Corinth. They shouldn't be doing that. They need to remember they were dead in sins, but now they are alive in Christ. And being alive in Christ demands a response and the result of a life that says I serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. He lives within my heart. There ought to be something different about us because of Christ. As we consider number one, an absolute love for the church and all in diligence for the gospel, it leads me to point number three, an attention to addressing the imperative. And as I consider what the imperative was, Jude said, this is what I want to do. It's kind of like this morning. We had different plans in Sunday school. But last minute, those plans changed. And then there was an opportunity to speak to the young ones in Sunday school class. There's that flexibility that is involved in ministry. And if you're in ministry for any amount of time at all, you know it's a flexible thing when you're in the ministry. To be able to move with whatever is coming at you. And here is Jude saying, this is what I wanted to do. But God wanted this. And as I look at what is going on in the situation of this life, and as I look at what's going on in the world, this is what I needed to write. I wanted to write this, but this was more needful. Notice what he says in verse number three, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful 
for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It's like a mom and a dad who says, you know what? I was wanting to do this in my child's life, but it was more needful to do this. Maybe it was by way of instruction, or maybe it was by way of correction. But you evaluate the situation and say, this isn't what they need right now, but what they need is this. And as we look at a nation where the Bible says, the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations, plural, all the nations that forget God, we need to be reminded there is a purpose in contending for the faith. We should not be shrinking back into the corner when our world is going in the other direction. We know the Bible says it's going to wax worse and worse. The days are going to get darker and more wicked. But isn't that a great opportunity for the light of Jesus Christ to shine in this world? We need to contend for the faith. And as we look at these words, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. It took setting aside good desires to approach and address that which was necessary. It took being honest with the state of the church and the state of the Christian. And by the way, we ought to be honest with ourselves today. It's very easy to come into church and to shrug off what it is that we as individuals need and that we as a church may need. And we need to look at our situation, evaluate it, and find out where we are at before a holy God and then address those needs. It called for the believer to stand up for the faith. The phrase in verse number 3 is, contend for the faith which was one delivered unto the saints. I am reminded of Teddy Roosevelt, the President of the United States back in his day. He loved to fight to the extent that he would bring a boxing ring into the White House and anybody who wanted to challenge him could step in the ring and go sparring with Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, this is the same guy who took down, without a gun in his hand, in a bar room, took down another man who had a gun in his face. This is the guy who would go on month-long expeditions without taking practically anything with him. He was what our world considered a man's man and a manly president. Boy, we've come so far from such things like that. He was a contender in his world. But I'm telling you, we have been called to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, but to stand for the faith which is in Christ Jesus. We see what it says in verse number 3. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude saying, Beloved, you've got some people in your life, my brother James being one of them, you've got some people in your life that the gospel was literally delivered to them. John, the beloved, he received his hands touched. He saw and witnessed Jesus walk on this earth the faith was delivered unto them and that same faith is the same faith that we need to stand for Jude is telling the next generation the generations have come the generations have gone the godly heritage that we have had is slipping away don't let the godly heritage that you have stated that you've loved for so long slip away simply because 
you're not willing to address the faith with those around you. Seward, Alaska, several years ago now. I preached there September 2009. Just before that, they had their VBS. The buses went out from that church, brought in children Monday night. They went back out to get children. They had first-time visitors on Sunday evening. They stopped back at the first-time visitor's house. We want to come to VBS tomorrow night, they said. So the bus drivers knocked on the door of that house. Those kids came to the door, and those kids said, we can't come to church tonight. Why, said the bus driver? Well, because at church, you guys cussed the entire time. We cussed the entire time at church? Yes, the kids said. At church, you kept seeing Jesus Christ this and Jesus Christ that. That's why we can't come to church tonight. And in a way, it makes us chuckle. But in a way, it breaks the believer's heart. Because there's a place in America, and I've heard of many more since then, where the kids are growing up and they have no clue who Jesus Christ is other than what they know to be a curse word. Oh, he is not a curse word. He is the most lovely thing that has ever happened in this world. His name is above all names. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And one of these days, He is going to rule with a rod of iron. And all the nations shall bow before Him. His name is Jesus. But even in America, we have dropped the ball. Because maybe someone somewhere has stopped contending for the faith. And when you contend for the faith, it's going to take endurance. It's going to take energy. It's going to take a little bit of work. It's going to take you committing your life to something, surrendering, submission, and sacrifice. It's going to be somebody who says, I know it's not always going to be easy, but the fight is worth it. Because it might just reach somebody for the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. And as I deliver to you a few of these verses from 2 Timothy, this addresses the question how do I contend for the faith? And so I figure it's good to look at the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul, he contended for the faith. The Apostle Paul kept the faith. The Apostle Paul didn't give up. He wasn't a Demas who hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He was somebody that finished the course. Notice what it says in 2 Timothy. And I'd like you to begin looking at chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 5. In 2 Timothy 4, verse number 5, But watch thou in all things. The first thing that we do to contend for the faith is we watch circumspectly. That means we are looking everywhere around us. We are making sure that the ministry that God has given to us has some sight, is able to look ahead, has more concern for the eternal than for the temporal. You are the century duty. You are the guard on duty. You are the one who is observing. You are the one who is looking. And as a daddy and a mommy, you're looking out ahead of your family and saying, I 
I don't want destruction in this home. So I'm not going to tee ourselves up for defeat. I'm going to tee ourselves up for success. I'm going to point us in the right direction. Watch thou in all things. And then I see this in verse number 5. But watch thou in all things. Do the work of an evangelist. A gospel proclaimer. This is somebody who stands up. And as he stands up, he's preaching the gospel. This is letter C on the page. Keep giving the gospel. I'll give you letter B in just a second. Keep giving the gospel. And I think it's interesting that here Paul is talking to a young pastor and saying, do the work of an evangelist. And then I think it's interesting in Ephesians 4 that in the listing of pastors and teachers and the evangelist, they are called to edify the body of Christ, to encourage the believers and the beloved. Sometimes we like to say, well, gospel proclamation, that's just for my pastor. Or, well, gospel proclamation is just for the evangelist. But gospel proclamation is for all believers everywhere. And what an opportunity we have to share it. Then I want to give you letter B on the page. Don't give up through trials. Don't give up through trials. In verse 5, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. It's going to get tough. But we're raising a generation that says, run from your problems instead of handle your problems. If you've ever been into building muscle, you know that you have to bring that muscle to the point of failure before you're going to build that muscle up. You've got to work the repetitions. You've got to lift something a little heavier depending on the muscle mass that you are trying to build. You have to endure through what you are putting your muscle through to make it bigger. But we as the church, we've gotten so weak because instead of facing the trial, we're running from the trial. We think that all of life has to be sunshine and roses to be of any good before God. But God even created the trials of this life for us to walk through for His glory. And in those trials, we can even know God is good even in the valley. Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. There's something about the valley that changes things. Your talk isn't just about God. Your talk is to God. Don't dismiss the trial. And listen, in the trial, here's what we need to learn. Even if there's something wrong with me, there There's nothing wrong with God. And don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right about God. Let me say that again. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right about God. Paul and Silas, they're put in prison for preaching the gospel. Oh, this wasn't the way it was supposed to go. I'm in prison. But what did they do when they were in prison? They prayed. They sang praises unto God. They had something wrong with them. Their life was on the line for the sake of the gospel. But they didn't give up. They endured through afflictions. This is how we contend for the faith. Then look at this. 
Not only do we contend for the faith by watching in all things, giving the gospel, by enduring afflictions, but then we need to see the job through. Notice what it says in verse 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Watch it through. I grew up working at Dairy Queen. I was an ice cream engineer. I was mixing up those blizzards and stacking those ice cream cones. I get frustrated when I go to Dairy Queen and there's no candy at the bottom of my blizzard. It's not that hard, guys. Make full proof of your ministry, right? I mean, you're ministering with this blizzard to me and you didn't see the job through. As supervisor at Dairy Queen, you realize that not everybody wants to come to work, especially when that nice spring day comes and you come in for the night shift as I did and the supervisor before me says, Justin, I'm sorry. I have tried to get these people to come into work, but nobody wants to come in today. These people called in sick and these are all busy. You're shorthanded tonight. So I went to work on the phone trying to get people, couldn't get anybody. Called some of, the, some of the same people, couldn't get anybody. And the whole night, we were like juggling things. I'm running to the back, helping with the burgers. I'm running to the front, helping with the cash. Running to the front, helping with the lobby. Running to the drive-thru, helping with drive-thru. Going outside, taking care of the trash. I mean, what was a job that was already very stressful on a nice day was amplified because of the lack of laborers. I'm sick. Here's what they did. They had enough goal to drive back and forth on the four lanes right in front of Dairy Queen being sick. Then somebody stepped up their game a little bit in the wrong way and thought, I'm sick. I'm going to drive for the drive through at Dairy Queen when I'm supposed to be working at Dairy Queen. And I'm going to order some ice cream because ice cream obviously has medicinal powers. I'm still trying to teach my wife that. I mean, it's just such a good thing to have ice cream when you're sick, you know. Not really. That's what he thought. I don't know. He's kind of like rubbing it in our faces. I called in sick. I'm not really sick. I'm driving through the drive-thru. The next time I came into work, the boss had a sign on the ice machine in the back that said, if you call in sick, don't drive through the drive-thru. Where was his integrity? Where was his loyalty? He wasn't making full proof of his job. He was skipping out on what it was that he was to do. And in our day, it's even amplified even more. With everything that we've come from and everything that's been offered to us on different levels, we have a society that doesn't want to work to receive. And the Bible still says, if a man provide not for his own, he is worse than an infidel and hath denied the faith men of faith you ought to be workers you ought to rise up and say I want to provide for my family as we see the need to contend for the faith we need to watch circumspectly don't give up through trials keep giving the gospel and see the job through and notice what Paul says in verse 6 I am now ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand I have fought a good fight I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. As men, as women, as moms and dads, as husbands and wives, as children, as senior saints, there's something we need to do. We need to contend for the faith. 
we need to gear up, put the boxing gloves on, and get back in the ring for the cause of Jesus Christ. We have all opportunities to stand for Jesus. Are we going to? I finish with this story. Don't turn me off. When I was working at Dairy Queen, I had a friend. I asked my friend, do you know Jesus? My friend said yes. One day, we were both supervisors. I was supposed to work late that night. He and I, before work, went on our bike ride. We went several miles on our Rock Island Trail. And then as we were coming back, I had to go to work. In the middle of that bike ride, there was a lady on the side of the trail with her bike. She was sitting on a bench. And as I was riding, the Lord pricked my heart and said, Justin, you need to talk with that lady about the gospel. So James and I stopped, and I talked with this lady about the gospel. She didn't want anything to do with it. She got on her bike. She rode away. I thought, well, at least I was sensitive to the Lord's leading in my life. That night I worked. I was closing down Dairy Queen. Most everyone had left. James shows up, also a supervisor at Dairy Queen. James is going around the lobby. He's not on the clock, but he's taking chairs. He's putting the chairs up on the tables so I can finish mopping the lobby. James has got a puppy dog look on his face like he's a lost little boy. I said, James, what's wrong? And James said, can I talk to you? I said, yes. Pulled a couple chairs down, sat down there in the lobby. James said, today on the Rock Island Trail, we stopped and we talked to that lady and you gave her the gospel. Justin, I thought I was saved. I've never truly understood what the gospel is. Can you show me how to be saved? And that evening, in the lobby, at Dairy Queen, that place, for lack of better words, became a holy ground or the birthing room, as James trusted Christ as his Savior. I say it like this. We must contend for the faith no matter who we are, where we're at, what jobs we have, what position we have, how much money we make, because God's going to take you places that he's never going to take me, and God's going to take me places he may never take you, and therefore God has you as a light to this world. Contend. Contend. Stand. Life might be hard right now. Tito, what a wonderful opportunity we have to share Jesus. Not just with our loved ones around us, but even those who are going through a hard time. There's lots of need out there. They need what you have. If you're here without Jesus Christ, your greatest need is salvation through Jesus Christ. Don't turn a moment like this away. He wants to rescue you. He wants to save you. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the encouragement to stand for the faith and to contend for it. I pray that we wouldn't give up in the fight, but that we would stay faithful. And if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet together.